for gathering with us. Uh, several weeks ago now, um, I honestly didn't know what we were going to do as far as preaching was concerned um, because we had a plan for May. And as things transpired and things happened, guess what? We took that plan and we threw it out. And uh, I told our staff one day, I don't know what we're going to preach, even though Sunday's coming. And then I just felt compelled to work ourselves through the book of Acts, not knowing that maybe God was working ahead for us. And so there's some things today that are relevant, they're pertinent, they're important to everything that's going on around us. And I hope that you've been with us as we've journeyed through the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts. As we've looked at this and, and we've seen this, uh, there, there's some important building blocks for us. And today we get to see that other part. Last week we talked about how uh, the intersection of truth and power really creates some incredible things. And, and, and here we are, we're going to see what that power is actually all about this morning. And so for the past couple of weeks, as we've dug in and we're looking at the book of Acts, it gives us this historical account. That's what the book of Acts is. It's a historical account of the Acts of the Apostles. Everything that the apostles did and everything that was happening to them, these apostles, they were just a small group of people. And, and I'm not being harsh. I'm just being real. They, they were ignorant, uneducated, uneducated marginalized uh, economically and socially. And yet, what they brought became one of the most powerful forces in the entire Roman Empire. God used these ordinary, everyday men and women to cause an explosion of faith across the entire Roman Empire. How did this happen? How did they do this? What was it all about? And how did we accomplish so much of this faith spread that happened when we see the truth and the power intersect? The apostles were filled they were filled with a power that was outside of themselves and they received something and they were filled with this, this supernatural energy. And today I want to dig in and I want to talk about what that is. And I want to make it practical for us and, and intentional for us. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Oh, right there. Do you mourn what I mourn? that gathering, that being together with one another. And verse 2 says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And so before we can dig in and before we can really look at, at, at talk about the Holy Spirit, I, I want us to talk about the very first verse in chapter 2. And it says, they were gathered together on the day of Pentecost. And we need to understand the, the importance of this day and why it matters. This, a lot of times as Christians, we think, well, this is the first day. This is the day of Pentecost. This is, this is it. When in reality, the day of Pentecost had been celebrated for years. We know that the day of Pentecost is the day the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. And, and the church started and, and the Spirit fell upon them and they preached and they taught. And, and several thousand people turned to Jesus and the church as we know it began. But why did God send his Spirit on this particular day? Why, why did God send his spirit at this particular time in history? And I think that there's a reason why. I think that we get to discover why. See, the original 
purpose of Pentecost, if you will, was the celebration or the feast of what is called the first fruits. See, Israel was an agricultural society. This is what they did. And so when the harvest would start to come in, guess what? They would go to the orchards, they would go to the fields, and they would pick some of the first crops that were available, and they would gather together, and they would, they would feast, and they would have a festival of sorts, and they would taste. And so we even do this today. When, when strawberries start coming in, we can have a pretty good idea by the first fruits what the crop is going to be like. What the taste is going to be. Are we going to be particularly sweet? Are we not going to be particularly sweet? And so here they are. They're gathered together. And and although it was debated, most agree that during the intertestamental period that most of the Jews associated the day of Pentecost was about 49 to 50 days after the Passover. So we got to go all the way back to Exodus. You remember Passover when they took the blood's lamb and they put it on their doorpost and the death spirit flooded over or passed over the Israelites in Egypt and Pharaoh then decided to release these enslaved Israelites into freedom. And then 49 to 50 days later, Pentecost, Penta, Penta, it's the Greek and Latin word for five or having five, so five or 50. And so Pentecost was the day that Moses went up on Mount Sinai and God appeared to him and gave him the law. And so in other words, Pentecost was about 50 days after Passover and, and 50 days when, when the Egyptians were, after the Egyptians were freed from slavery, God meets with Moses and delivers this law. And so look what happens on the day of Pentecost. Verse four says this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? First, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is a part of the Trinity of God. But what is this power and how are we filled with it? And what is the fullness of the Holy Spirit? There are so many questions that we can begin to ask and answer. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to come on the day of Pentecost? What does it teach us? What does it tell us? And so today, what I hope to do is discover just a few of the reasons that I think God used this day and and this time period to bring us into the presence of some things. And so first and foremost, when the Holy Spirit fills us, We are brought into the presence of the future. Man, listen to that again. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are brought into the presence of the future. This is so important because the Holy Spirit begins to give us clarity about the end. And and I'm certainly, uh, I agree that this is a, a view of eschatology. Eschatology is just the study of the end times. And so remember, Pentecost is associated with the Feast of the First Fruits. And so as Christians, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us just a taste, gives us a slice, gives us just a a glimpse of what the future is going to hold. Just a small little taste and slice of what we can look forward, forward to in the future. And so the Feast of the First Fruits was an opportunity to taste and to see the harvest that's to come. I hope you're not missing this. Because as Christians, when we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit fills us up, God says, listen, 
I'm going to give you a glimpse into the future. And the glimpse into the future is beautiful. And you can read about the future. Read Revelation 20 and Revelation 21 where, where there's this river of life. And it's life-giving, and, and there's no more disease, and, and there's no more sickness, and there's no more war, and there's no more fighting. It's just a picture. And if you remember, God is, God is sending us his spirit, and he sends him on the day of Pentecost, this feast of first fruits, to give us that indication of what's to come. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes about everything in the world. He says, everything in the world is futile, everything is decaying, and everything is held bondage to corruption and to, to, to decay. If you watch the news right now, if you read the newspapers, if you dare turn on Facebook or Twitter, you can certainly see that we are futile, and, and we are held bondage by decay and by corruption. But, but... We join creation, is what Paul says, and we groan because everything is running down, because everything is falling apart, because everything is going to this, this chaos, this disorder. But, Paul says, someday there will be glory. Someday heaven will come down. Someday everything will be glorious. Everything will be restored again. L look at Romans 8 with me. This is what it says. Paul says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Right there in verse 18 of Romans chapter 8, what Paul's saying is, listen, we get that first fruit, we get that taste, there's a glory that is being revealed to us, and so we can hold on because this present time and what we're going through in the midst of, of the chaos and the decay and the corruption and everything that's happening. Paul's saying, don't get bogged down with that because Christian, we get a taste. We get a slice of what's to come. The next verse is, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, here it is, don't miss it, but we ourselves who have what? The first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were not saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What Paul's saying is, listen, those of us who have tasted, those of us who have experienced the slice, those of us who have captured just a small glimpse of what the future holds, those of us who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? Do you know what this is? The Holy Spirit that comes down into the Christians and fills us, it fills us with the presence of the future. It is the first taste, it's the first slice, it's the first indication, it's the, it's the first installment of the glory of heaven and it is a slice, and only a slice, just a taste, a small taste of ultimately what the reality is going to be for all of us. It's the taste of life to the fullest. And it's a taste of the ultimate glory that we get to experience another day and another time. What is heaven going to be like? What is heaven going to be like? What is it going to be like when we see Jesus face to face? Listen, 
Holy Spirit-filled people are, ex- are, are capable of experiencing that taste right now. Experiencing just a little bit of that right now. In heaven, what will it be like? We'll want to be like him. And and Holy Spirit-filled people today, guess what? We get a slice of that reality where we strive to become more and more and more like Jesus today. See, it's it's a slice, it's a taste, and we get this power and this strength All of a sudden, we find self-control and and wisdom and grace and compassion. And God does remarkable things for us. And so with that said, let me give us just a couple of reminders and maybe a couple of cautions for all of us. We have to remember that we have the first fruits of heaven. You and I, Holy Spirit-filled people, we, we get a taste of heaven, which means we have inside ourselves... And we have inside our church the power to slow the futility, to slow the corruption, to slow the decay. This is why Paul reminds us that we're his ambassadors. Luke says that Jesus said we are his witnesses. Jesus said, go therefore into the world and do what? Slow the decay, slow the corruption, be salt and be light and be a part of what God's doing when God exposes the darkness. And so we should give up our small ambitions And we should pursue a powerful ministry, a tremendous hope for life and for life change and for transformation. And so on the on the other hand, we must remember it's only a taste. And sometimes as Christians, we go too far, right? On on one end, we think, you know what? Um, God can't change my life. How in the world can he change my life? Look at everything I've done. But on the other hand, we need to remember that we're still sinners and, and that we still can make mistakes. And so on one hand, we say, well, God can't possibly change them. God can't possibly change me. Or on the other hand, all of a sudden, we say, well, I've got the Holy Spirit, and, and God told me to tell you. we got to be cautious of those extremes. If we forget through the Holy Spirit that we can really, truly address some of the deepest spiritual, some of the deepest psychological, and some of the deepest social issues, we are useless But on the other hand, if we believe that we can give canned pat answers for everything and and we call faith, faith, and if you have enough faith, you'll be happy and life will go good for you, we're useless also. See, the Holy Spirit is a taste of what is to come, which gives us both the confidence and the humility to face every day. When we are Holy Spirit-filled people, we have both that confidence and both that humility to face whatever today might bring me. Because I'm not living for just today. I'm living for today, for the future. That's the reality. And so it's the first fruit. It's a taste, and it's a slice. And it's one of the reasons that God sent the Holy Spirit on this important day, the day of Pentecost. Here's another reason I think God sent his Holy Spirit upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit fills us, we are brought in to the presence of God now. We're brought into the presence of God today. In the Old Testament, nearly every time God shows up, guess how he shows up? Either wind and fire. Wind or fire. When God appears to Job, it's like a whirlwind. When God appears to Abraham, he appears to him as a burning torch between these animal pieces in Genesis 15. And at the first Pentecost, 
The first Pentecost, when God appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai, God came down in a windstorm and fire. And we need this power. You need this power. I need this power. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not being filled with some kind of electricity. It's not being filled with some kind of abstract or unattainable uh, power. When these men and women on the day of Pentecost received the Holy Spirit, they began to talk. They began to speak. They started to talk about the things they saw and the things they heard. They started talking about the way the Holy Spirit has shown them life and, and the glimpse of the future. They started to talk about all that Jesus began to do, did, and began to do. You remember Acts 1? We talked about this two weeks ago. We'll look deeper at this even, even next week because Peter stands up and he preaches one of the most dynamic sermons that Peter ever preached. I'm sure when Peter was done preaching, he went, what did I just say? And they didn't say, finally, we have peace in our life. That's not what the apostles said. As a matter of fact, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, the Holy Spirit threw them into the midst of chaos and hurt and frustration, and uncertainty. They didn't say, finally, finally, my crippled leg is healed, or, or my blind eye is healed. They didn't say, finally, I have the power to overcome my problems. They started talking about the wonders of God. That's what they started talking about. See, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, guess what? We're brought into the presence of God, and what do we do? We declare his goodness. When we experience the presence of God, we begin declaring the goodness of God, and we start sharing our story. What story? our story of life change, and our story of transformation. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, God comes and God declares his name and God declares his goodness. Do you remember all the way back in the book of Exodus what happened when God came down on Mount Sinai to meet Moses? God said, listen, Moses, I've come to declare my name. And Moses, during the first Pentecost, comes to God. And you remember what Moses says to God? He says, God, show me your glory. And God says, you can't handle my glory. If you see all of my glory, you're going to die. Like, my, my glory is so powerful, it will, it will burn you down. Like, you can't handle it. And so what is Moses asking for? Moses is asking for a spiritual experience. He wants the power, and he wants the thrills, and he wants the good stuff. He wants to feel good. But God told Moses, you can't handle my glory, but what I will show you is my goodness. Look at this in Exodus chapter 33. It says, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you, what? My name, the Lord and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. It is as if God was telling Moses, you haven't experienced my glory yet. Why haven't you experienced my glory? Why haven't we experienced God's glory? Because we neglect to experience his goodness. We have to see his goodness first. 
When, when God shows Moses his goodness, his name, he says, you can't see the front of me. You can't handle my full glory. Now listen to what God told Moses when he passed by him in the cleft in the rock and he put his hand over his face. This is what God said. You have to jump to Exodus chapter 34, verse six. It says, the Lord passed before him and this is what the Lord proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generations. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshiped. Why did he worship? Because he experienced the goodness of God. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, God declares himself in our lives. And not his glory, but his goodness. Moses wanted an experience of supernatural power. That's what Moses was looking for. Moses wanted the glory. Moses wanted the power. And God told Moses, the only way for me to give you my glory, for you to even experience a little of my glory, is for me to tell you who I am to tell you about my goodness. And the only way is to show you all of my goodness. And God tells Moses about his goodness. And the goodness of God gets real. And it calls us out all at the same time. That's what's so cool about it. Because on one hand, God says, I am the Lord your God, and I am gracious, and I am compassionate, and I am slow to anger. I'm abounding in love. And I'm maintaining love to the thousands and I'm forgiving the wickedness of the hundreds. I'm forgiving rebellion and I'm forgiving sin. And yet at the same time, God says, let me tell you also about my goodness. I will not overlook the guilty. I will not clear the guilty and I will punish the children and I'll punish their children and their children and their children for generations. What? All of a sudden we're going, how is that possible? Because it's all of God's goodness. This is all of God's goodness. God is declaring his goodness. God is good and God is loving and he doesn't overlook sin all at the same time. God is able to be perfect justice goodness and love goodness all at the same time. And as Christians, how often do we miss this? How often have you missed it? This is where most of our problems in Christianity come from. I mean, if we really think about it, one, one side of the people says, you know what, God is loving but he's the judge. He's essentially the judge and he's going to punish you and you can try to be a good person and if you live a good life, you'll be okay, maybe, but, but he's, he's like half good, but really God is just. But then on the other hand, the people say, well, you have to decide about these things for yourself, right? Because, because God is good and God is loving. He loves everybody and you could do no wrong. And if God works for you, if there is a God, why don't you choose to follow him? And all of a sudden, this is where we begin to fight because the one side, he's really kind of loving, but mostly he's just. And the other side says, well, he's, he's really loving and maybe a little just. And if you land too far either side of the argument, we've not experienced his goodness. We're not filled. When we try to choose these sides and we get out of balance, something happens. When we fall too far on one side or the other, we stop declaring the wonders of God. Because God said to Moses, I'm able to be both all at the same time. 
God is loving goodness and justice goodness, and he's able to determine how to exercise that the very best. And we're not saying, let me tell you about how great, marvelous, and incredible God is. We're, we're saying, well, God will get you if you don't do the right thing. That's one side. Get to church. Uh-oh. Well, we're in trouble for that one, aren't we? We're all going to hell if we have to be in church because there's nine of us in here right now. So I'm going. Sorry. See what I'm saying? All of a sudden, we start to take sides. We start to lean one way or the other, and we got a problem. We've got a problem when we say God loves everybody, accepts everybody, and doesn't ask us to change anything. See, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, all of God's goodness is revealed to us. The Holy Spirit shows us Jesus, and suddenly we say the cross. Jesus, not just an example, not just a hero, not just a helper. Jesus, the Savior of the world on the cross. And when we go back to Acts chapter 1, we spent two, this time on this two weeks ago, when God punished himself through Jesus on the cross at one time, fully and absolutely, his goodness, justice, and his goodness, love were satisfied fully. And until this hits us, until it really hits us, the Holy Spirit hasn't shown us. And we've not encountered the real God and the goodness of God. We've not experienced the supernatural power that God gives. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and shows us all the goodness of God. Being a Christian is not just subscribing to some document of beliefs. The Holy Spirit shows us all of God's goodness. And when we realize if it's true that Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that I could come become rich, everything changes in us. Everything changes. When this hits us, when it strikes us, because that's what the Holy Spirit does, and we experience all of the goodness of God, then we know we're filled. And this is how we grow as a Christian. We look carefully at our lives. We examine our lives because God is with us. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it brings us into the presence of God who is light and exposes our darkness. We are in his presence. And so if you're anxious and we're guilty, if we're sluggish, if we're, we're turning to the wrong things, no matter what, we need to be like Moses and we need to say, Spirit of the living God, pass by me and show me all of your goodness. The Holy Spirit comes upon us. And he shows us all of God's goodness. The fire came down on the mountain. It came down near to Moses, but it comes down in us. It comes down on us. Why? Because the thing that God said, Moses, you can't handle all of my glory. You remember the book of John? A few years ago, we spent a lot of time. It says this in chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and in him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light, it shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. What? Full of grace and full of truth. So God, who's able to be loving goodness and justice goodness, and Jesus, who's full of grace and full of truth, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and fills us, we see clearly the goodness of God. And we strive to become that too. All right, one more. 
What's the point of the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost? Here it is. When the Holy Spirit fills us, we are brought into the presence of nations. So we're brought into the future, we're brought into the presence of God, but we're also brought into the presence of nations. And one of the ways, one of the ways you can judge whether a real revival and a real renewal of the Holy Spirit is happening in a Christian community is not just the people who are declaring the wonders of God, but it changes the relationship of those very people to the broken community around us. The Holy Spirit doesn't just bring us into the presence of the future. It doesn't just bring us into the presence of God. It brings us into the presence of nations. Look at this in Acts chapter 2, verse 5. I wonder, I wonder why, why did Luke include this? Why was this so important for Dr. Luke, who was investigating and, and, and trying to determine whether all of this was a real movement or not? Why did he include this? Look at this. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, uh, the multitude came together. What did they hear? They heard the wind, remember? They heard what sounded like wind and, and tongues of fire. And so they came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them. Who's them? The apostles, the men and the women in the upper room were hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Eliamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and, and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language, what the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and all were perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? But others mocking, ah, they've had too much to drink. And most of this passage is a long list of nations. And we look at all the different nations, and I ask the question, why did Luke include the nations, the writer, writer of Acts? Why did he make such a long list? Why was he so intentional to tell us who was there? It's unnecessary, but, but Luke was very intentional about everything that he reported. And here's why it's important. Because the last time we saw the list of nations, or what was called the table of nations, is in Genesis chapter 10. You remember Genesis chapter 10? Jump to Genesis 11. We're told about the Tower of Babel. Remember the Tower of Babel? That the people of earth decided to be their own masters. Don't miss this. The people of earth determined to be their own masters and, and to create a name for themselves. And so they built this tower. And as a result, God confused their languages. He confused their tongues. And at the Tower of Babel, God came down and he confused the language and the tongues, which was a way of showing them that they could not decide for themselves to justify themselves. They could not be their own Lord. They could not be their own Savior. And the result was racial and, and, and cultural uh, superiority and imperialism, racial and cultural hostility, and, and the destruction of human community. And I know you're thinking, well, Tom's meddling in the current times. No, I'm meddling in Acts chapter 2. It's here. Listen, the first worship gathering 
and the first sermon was in every language and was in every culture. On the first day of the church, the sermon was preached in every language. And the worship gathering was in every culture, right there on the day of Pentecost. And this is such an important reminder for all of us, especially as our society struggles to have deeper conversation that are necessary conversations in the kingdom of God. Luke shows us what it's like to become Christians. We're saved not by our own goodness. We're saved by God's goodness. I'm not saved because I can do it myself. You're not saved because you're capable of doing it yourself. We are saved because we taste and experience the goodness of God. And when we taste, we get that small slice, that small taste of the future, and we experience the goodness of God. The cross, the cross is upgraded. And our nationalism, and our racism, and our identities, and all of those things that we determine make us what we are, they become downgraded. And don't miss what I'm saying. Culture is important. Where you come from is important. But at the foot of the cross, it's all about the cross. And the cross becomes most important. Now, now the most important thing about us is Jesus and what Jesus accomplished on the cross. We look across to a brother and a sister <laughs> who also has the cross in his or her heart, even if they're from a different culture from us, they're, they're from a different race, maybe somebody before Christianity, we wouldn't even put a second thought to. But now all of a sudden, I have more in common with the person who is least like me than I've ever experienced before. That's what the cross does. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. It gives us a family in nations. I, my Facebook page, I got people in Kenya, people in New Zealand, people in Mexico. They're my friends. Listen, before Christianity, I'm not sure that would have happened. Why? Because there's people in Kenya and there's people in Mexico. There's people right here in Gresham who are in different social economic status than me. And we're friends. Why? Because that's what the cross does. That's what the Holy Spirit does when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. I have more in common with a person sometimes than from the people in my own culture. My own color of skin. Because of what the cross does. And man, we have to understand this. I'm not asking you to believe one thing or another about the current affairs. I'm asking you to believe what the Holy Spirit does. What the Holy Spirit did on the day of Pentecost. What the cross of Jesus does. The way we know that there is a revival and a revival has hit us is that we get along with people who we never imagined we'd ever get along with. And the way we know that the Holy Spirit has come down upon us is that we don't just have a bunch of wonderful, feel-good feelings, but we change our whole attitude towards our money. We change our whole attitude toward ourselves, toward our identity, toward our culture. And we realize that we are sent people 
sent out into the world in humble service to people who before we never would have anything to do with. That's how you know you've been filled. There is social healing. Why? Because it's the presence of the future. Because we can agree suddenly that this isn't our home. That we're strangers and we're aliens. And both of us, even though we are miles apart in our own culture, we have one thing in common. We groan and we mourn and we long and we desire for a better place, for that taste to become reality, for that slice, for that glimpse of the future to become real. That's what binds us together. And is this happening here? Has this happened to you? Can you see your prejudices coming down and the Holy Spirit, Spirit bring you into the presence of the future and, and into the presence of God where the goodness of God is revealed to us? It brings us into the presence of nations. Are you worried? Are you angry? Are you bitter? Are you unhappy? Are you bored? Do you even know what you need? You know what we need? We need all the goodness of God. We can't do this Christian life with only half. Figure out which half is missing and, and get it figured out. The, right now, God says, listen, I'll show it all to you. We can say to God, God, show me all of your goodness. Fill me with your spirit that I might declare the wonders of God, that I might start speaking about all the difference you're making and so let me close with this prayer for all of us. And then we're going to sing. We're going to pray. This needs to be our prayer today. Let me pray. God, please. 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 Give us your presence now so we can experience your goodness. That's enough. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.